0: Hello, and welcome to the Changemakers podcast. I'm Dave Corlett, Business Director at the creative agency Shape By, and in this series I chat to leading marketers at what we call Changemaker Brands, businesses on a mission to change the world for the better through technology. What I want to find out is the role that creativity plays in helping them to communicate the benefits of their technology. Hopefully their insights, experience and stories can help you supercharge your own creativity. This is a conversation between myself and Gwen Lafarge, who is the VP of brand at the communications platform Cinch, based out of Stockholm. Gwen first came to my attention with her own podcast called the Tech Marketing Podchat, which is just, I mean, episode after episode of really riveting conversations with folks from across the Tech marketing industry. We struck up a bit of a relationship on LinkedIn, which led to this conversation. So I'm really grateful that she could join me. We had a fantastic chat about all things brand when it comes to B2B tech. I was particularly interested in her thoughts on high growth businesses like Cinch, who've grown from 400 to 4,000 people um, in the space of of little over a year. And much more besides, I mean, it's um, one of those topics that we could talk all day about, and we nearly did, to be honest. So I had a whole host of questions that we never got around to talking about because we just shot the breeze on all sorts of things as you're here. So here we go. This is my conversation with Gwen Lafarge, the VP of Brand at Cinch. Enjoy. Gwen, hello. A big warm welcome to the Changemakers. How are you doing today?
1: Hi. Thank you. I'm great. Thank you for having me here.
0: How, how is sunny? How is Stockholm today?
1: Actually, beautiful um yeah it's sunny which is really nice and a bit cold but not too much so it's, it's a pretty nice fall or autumn day
0: excellent we should introduce you first obviously Gwen Lafarge VP of Brand at Cinch we'll come in a little while to Cinch and, and who they are and what they do I'm sure um but the first thing I wanted to kind of cover off with you was your quite fascinating career path both in terms of agency side, client side, and also the locations as well. What I'd really love to know is how you got to where you are today at Cinch in Stockholm via London, San Francisco, Paris, <laughs> anywhere else?
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's about it. Like, uh, I'm a little bit of a traveler. I, I guess very shortly, uh, I started my, my career in advertising agencies, actually in London, and, uh, and then moved to Paris, still on the creative agency side. I moved to San Francisco for a short while there. I, um, I had my own business. I had a, uh, an art gallery, so nothing to do with tech or agencies for a few years. Then I went back to a um, creative agency. So I worked for a B2B creative agency based in San Francisco. And the owner of that agency is Swedish. And we had the project of opening a European office. So I volunteered to, um, to come back to Europe as I'm originally from France so was a bit closer, so I'll come back to Europe and uh, and open like our office in, in Stockholm. So I've done that for a few years and then realised I should try to see what it's like on the other side. So since it's actually one of my first job in house, if we call it that way. <laughs> yes.
0: Cool. And what what made you initially want to get into the world of marketing and advertising? obviously like you said in, in on the agency side, what what was your reason for getting into that whole world?
1: yeah it's it's interesting because i think that it was from a very young age i guess or like uh, when i was in college i i knew i wanted to work for creative agencies for some reason i I, that's where i did like my very first internship um so many many years ago (laughs) and um and i just was attracted i think to like the creativity i i I like like old school advertising like The the ads I was, as a kid, I would cut off like ads in magazines, (laughs) mostly for perfume and and stuff like that, I think. But, um, which is not at all what I I do today, right? But but I think that's kind of how it started. I was really liking those beautiful visuals and those kind of like eye-catching ads. Um, That's kind of where my career started in like old school advertising.
0: I was the same but mine was football shirts so obviously every football shirt has a sponsor and a sponsor's logo and I was really interested in the design of those kits but actually the fun part of creating kind of theoretical what would my team shirt look like next year let's do a cool design was like oh cool could they be sponsored by Nike or could they be sponsored by someone Apple or someone really really cool. And, um, and and that was kind of a really cool intro to, to brands and branding just around that side of things. So yeah, a, a very similar Definitely. story. Has it always been B2B that you've worked in on an agency side or a bit of both?
1: Not, not at all. Like I started in like large agencies and I started as what we call, now I'll show my age, but that um, below uh. the line. Right. that what we call it back in the day, we call it below the line and above the <laughs> line. Right. The line being like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so I started in below the line and and did a lot of direct marketing in a way which is kind of like the almost the old version of ABM in some ways. Right. But for a lot of like consumer brands, like uh, my first um Assignment or like uh, work for like some of Procter and Gamble brands, work for Coca Cola brands. Um, so so really like consumer brands at the beginning. B two B came much later in in my career, and mostly I did a, a little bit in those big agencies I work for. Like I worked at like uh, Leo Burnett and um, uh, RCG, like some of the big the big agencies. But then I. Um, work for a smaller creative agency in san francisco and that was all b2b tech and that's like where i mostly discovered like uh tech advertising or tech marketing um being at at the center of it all in in silicon valley do you see
0: that there's a dramatically big distinction between what you were doing in terms of on the consumer side and then obviously getting into more b2b particularly around tech do you see it as kind of hugely different or do you you know because i was literally reading an article today by one of our clients a lady called monica kumar who is the svp of marketing at a tech company called nutanix talking about this very familiar thing now which is b2h you know b2b and b2c you're marketing to marketing mm-hmm. to humans you know we, we all have emotions obviously the buying decisions and the decision making and the stakeholders involved might be slightly different and the, the, the buying cycle but ultimately you know we're still humans with emotions and, and, and needs that need to be fulfilled how do you see that
1: yeah, it's getting closer and closer. I would say that back in the day probably was very different. Like uh, B2B was very dry. You had to like be, appear very professional. So uh, so everything was meant for being businessy and not taking into account that actually human are buying on the other side. Like they might be human at work, right? Like today, that's kind of how we see it. It's like the human at work, they might not be spending their own budget, so that's that's still kind of a, a difference, but still, um, they, there's definitely a big part in, in how they, they buy that is related to their emotion and their feeling and the people they trust. And so, not really just about very um, rational buying, which we, I think, believe for a long time that it was all B2E was all about very, very rational, right? And comparing product features and comparing price in the end and, and in reality it's, it's not just that but so I think it's getting closer though I think B2B still have a lot to learn from B2C brands uh, especially when it comes to brands and branding in general um, I think we still see a lot of like uh, B2B companies mostly focusing on on the product features and not really focusing on the brand or, or on storytelling which is something that Consumer brands have understood for a long time now, so I think we still have some some learnings to get from from there. They like they put creativity. I think like uh, more front and center that a lot of B two B brands are doing. It's shifting, and I think that shift is coming from some of those tech companies in in Silicon Valley um, that have really understood that and are putting creativity at the center of what they do or putting. The consumer at the center of what they do, and in a sense, when you do that and think about what makes people tick, right, what makes them react, then you you understand that a big part of it is emotions. So, yeah,
0: yeah, and it's always slightly baffled me because you know we hear this stat time and time again: around ninety five percent of your ICP, you know, your target market is at they're out of market at the time. So you would think that the the way to reach them is by That emotional brand building activity that thrives on creativity, that thrives on emotion, that thrives on entertainment and and really pulling at those emotional strings that make you more memorable so that when it comes to the time when they are ready to buy, your brand is loved by them or at least makes them feel something. But we don't always see that. And like you said, I think it's definitely becoming more prevalent, but it's still got a long way to go.
1: I think the the main reason behind that is that somehow in, in B2B marketing especially, um, we love measuring and finding the um, attribution, right? Like, where does this leads come from? And we're very focused on short-term sales, um, which makes it, like, hard for brands, right? Which makes it hard for long-term brand building and, and kind of more emotional, maybe, campaign or storytelling or... Or focusing on brand because it's a lot harder to measure uh, it's a lot long term so you can't just like look at um, yeah how many clicks you got on this banner mm. <laughs> and, uh, and and understand that right so I think that that's probably why and I think it's it's also somehow I would think some of the shift came with like digital marketing because now we are so addicted to like measuring everything and it makes it's a lot easier with digital marketing than it was before um, and somehow that has pushed some of those like longer term activities out because you can't really trace things back to them um, so uh, it's just in the mindset but again I think this we had like a a huge shift I think like maybe 10 years ago when everything was about marketing automation and then everything was about like measuring and 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 now I feel like it's it's shifting, and brand is taking a bigger place in, in in the mindset and in the budget of like B two B marketers or B two B companies. So that's that's a good thing. It's still learning there, but uh, it's getting there.
0: <laughs> Definitely. So and and if we can look at your role at Cinch, then so how's this playing out within your role? Is it still a challenge to kind of convince? um your you know your seniors that that brand is truly worth investing in for the long term or you know is it not is it not so difficult do they do they understand and value it
1: i think it is still uh difficult and probably is for like every brand <laughs> marketers and um uh, to kind of prove your value and prove the worst again because it's harder to measure right and i think you have to like first show um, or first kind of get the basic covers and it kind of depends of the type of marketing organization you're in and like if the kind of demand gen machine is running um, and that there is like everything is good and the number are there like you're delivering right on your sales pipeline um, then it's probably easier to get a bit more freedom to uh, to do a bit more um, out-of-the-box or maybe branding activities in, in a way um, but if like if you need to fix that first um, which is kind of normal right you first need to focus on like making the machine run right having this kind of like good dimension machine um, that that creates kind of like the, the the trust in the whole marketing organization and showing the value of marketing in delivering um, sales, right? Um, so I think if that is not in place, then it's a it's a lot harder. If it is in place, then I think you can have maybe a bit more freedom to do to do more creative things. Um, and of course, it depends on the individual. I think I'd, I think since there's definitely many people that believe in the necessity to um, to build a strong brand. Um, so I'm I'm pretty lucky in that way um Then when it comes to budgets, right, and uh, size of the team, or this type of stuff, um, then maybe it's a bit uh, it's a bit different. But I think no, there's there's a strong belief. I think I'd say that we also need to get there. So, yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so speaking of Cinch, could you give us a bit of an insight into into who Cinch are and what what they do?
1: Yes. So Cinch is a um, a customer engagement um, cloud communications platform or company. Um, What that means is basically that we help companies and brands um, engage and communicate with their audiences across the customer journey and across all channels. So we provide all the tools that are behind those communications so it's it can go from like um, you receiving an sms from your favorite brand to tell you there's 15% off um, to you communicating with customer service on whatsapp because you need to return the pair of shoes you just received or you communicating with your bank uh, again mostly on on the phone or like on uh, how to access your account all the kind of security um, engagement you might get on your phone. So every kind of like phone communications. And it goes beyond that to like voice, like let's say your uh, Uber driver just got there and he can't find you and you need to kind of like call him. So that's a voice part of it Uh, or even email. So it's like it covers the entire spectrum of communication that a brand can have with this end user throughout really the, the journey, right? So it's... Well, before, during, and after a purchase is made, so it's pretty vast in terms of like um, solutions that we offer, which is pretty fascinating. And, and there's a huge demand that it keep growing because, of course, we're all using our phones to communicate with our friends, like uh, more and more, right? With friends and family, and, and brands need to get there. That's where communications happen.
0: Yeah, it's cool. We're doing some interesting stuff with. Do you know Coros? customer engagement platform we we just started working with them we're doing some really cool stuff around trying to bring that whole proposition to life around connectivity of that customer journey and it's really really interesting stuff so you got you guys are seven years old now would you would you Mm -hmm. call yourselves a startup (laughs) or a bit beyond that
1: so we we we're a bit more. So Cinch has a bit um, of a complex history. Like we've we've grown like ten uh, x uh, in a pretty short period of time. So Cinch started at CLX, and that was kind of like the origin of of the company. The company was called CLX Communications, uh, founded in Sweden by um, six founders, and uh, across the years they like uh, grow and. Through both organic growth and through acquisition. So Cinch, it, the, the company called Cinch was actually an acquisition made by CLX, who then took the name Cinch. So in a way, the Cinch brand um, in relation to, to CLX or so the whole kind of company we are today is like two years old. Um, so it's very, it's very new, it was kind of CLX before, and Sitch was just like a small company that we acquired and took the name from. So it's like, uh, in terms of branding, it's a pretty complex story because we are, we, we are um, uh, now like a, a, a big company, like uh, by the end of the year, we'll be close to 4,000 people. Um, where two years ago maybe we were 600, so it's um, it's been a, a crazy growth. And in a way, the brand have not yet grown as fast as the company has. Um, we're not as known as like another 4,000 people company in the market because of our recent brand history, right? Because it's been it's been a pretty new brand in a way, and um, and because maybe we've not put like all the efforts on the brand yet but uh, that's definitely changing and now that we are gaining a huge presence in the US our two of our most recent acquisition are US based company of pretty uh, good size we we need to put more efforts on on becoming one of the known player in the space like uh, we are so the, the the market is called CPAST, communication platform as a service and um, depending on on the on who <laughs> Look at the market, but I think we, we consider as number two in the market our biggest competitor uh, being Twilio, like yeah. a big San Francisco company. Uh, so it's a very competitive market, but there's huge opportunities for growth because the whole industry, um, or the whole demand is growing very fast.
0: Sorry for my ignorance here, but were, were you at Cinch when you rebranded to Cinch?
1: No, I am pretty new at Cinch. I've joined only seven months ago, so um, I'm I'm pretty new. I um, we just launched like a, a couple of months ago, maybe now a new brand and a new website um, that work was so very
0: cool we' started.
1: It. Yeah, was started before I joined, uh, but since I joined, I've it helped evolve the brand and implement it. Right, like we um, yeah we we launched our website just after the summer, and this I think has been. A great, like uh, move in the right direction for us like we're very proud of the new brand that we've built and, and I think it will help us uh, differentiate and position us in, in the right place as a global leader so, so yeah, we, we're very happy about that
0: <laughs> Yeah, I love the new brand It's Thanks. fantastic, really, really nice uh, I've been seeing lots of stuff on LinkedIn around kind of some of the merch that you've been sending out to new yeah. starters and things <laughs> yeah. like that as well Really, really cool, very nice stuff what does an average week look like for you at Cinch? What is your agreement and, and how does that play out in your day-to-day life?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think being in such a fast growth company, um, my week tend to be a bit crazy. <laughs> There's uh, always um, uh, a lot of balls to juggle with and a lot of projects. Um, I am... In addition to brand, I'm also very involved in M um, and A. So every time we we acquire a new company, I'm and uh, very involved for f- before we announce that we sign a new company, so that can uh, M and A keeps like a big part of my my role in tra- helping integrate those new companies we we acquire. Of course, each company also have their their brand or several brands, and so we need to kind of decide on on what's the next steps and how we integrate them or do they keep some of their do they keep the brand when do we evolve that type of stuff um i think the way i also see brand is like it's not just about branding it's not just about the logo and I know you mentioned the merch and a lot of people think like yeah brand is like merch and powerpoint slide right so um and it goes way beyond that and the way I see it is like for me brand is your reputation so it's, it's trying to think about how do you influence that reputation and how do you build it and a lot of it is through content and through the way that everybody in the company talk about the Com- the company and and the brand and so I think it's um, it's a way more holistic approach than than just thinking about your logo and your visual identity. It's your story and trying to make it like um, bigger than than your company. I think it's also where where you need to start. Right? It's like um, thinking about what what is your place on the market and what is it that you bring um, and how you define this kind of piece of the market or this kind of category that that you want to own um and for me that's also where brand play a big role so yeah so i did not answer the question very directly i guess what my (laughs) weeks look like but i think um i'm involved in a lot of projects that can go from um the website to our sales deck to um new videos that we might produce to helping some of those integrated companies come in um to um thinking about the strategy for the new the new brand acquisition um yeah so it's very varied that's that's the fun of it right it's like not one day or not one week is the same as the other
0: (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah and I just want to pick up on something that you said there around the internal side of things so again I saw a really interesting quote from a company that I used to work at a branding agency called Dixon Baxi on LinkedIn the other day actually which is basically saying that how well a brand is defined and understood externally depends on how well it's understood internally. Now, you guys have got 4,000 people there. Is it a challenge for you to make sure that your brand is clearly defined? And by that, obviously, I don't just mean the identity. I mean what you stand for, your personality, tone of voice, everything. Is, is it a challenge to make sure that everybody feels like they're on the same page and is invested in the brand?
1: It is. Um, I think it's probably harder when, when you grow bigger than when you're like a small uh, company of 200 people, right? Um, I think what's important is to start not by just like the visual identity, but what are your company's values? And I think that's something that you, you, you need to start with, I think, like in, in defining what are those values, what do you stand for, uh, what's important for you as a company and have people believe in that. And then thinking about what is kind of like the company narrative for us. Yes, it's a bit of a challenge also because our story has changed. It's changed so much. And this year, particularly since I joined in the past seven months, we've um, acquired four new companies. And that's like, change our story right we're not the company we were last year so we are actually starting now this kind of um, work on on the positioning and defining what is the new narrative um, how do we explain what we do because with all those new companies it's a new product offering uh, it's a stronger product offering it's also new markets um, so it's I think that's where what's important right is really clearly defining um, who you're for, what's your targeted audience and understanding them and crafting that narrative, uh, having that clear story and having people kind of on board with it. And yeah, so I sense like we've we've done a great work on like the, the values from a company perspective and from an, an inside perspective, what, what we stand for and what we believe in. And then now I think the part we need is more like of an external company story or like how do we like I was mentioning craft this this place or this category that we want to own and define what what that is so I think that that's our next step
0: yeah I mean and it's again it's not an insignificant challenge as a business that's growing and, and evolving so much in a market that is growing and evolving so much you know how does your brand remain consistent and it doesn't have to be something that constantly changes to the point where it's not the same as it was yesterday and it's going to change again tomorrow I guess that must be a real a challenge for you as well to kind of try and keep that level of consistency going
1: yeah it is and I think that I truly believe that's also how you build a brand right like that every single interaction and every yeah every single interaction people have with your brand whether it's through like an email you send, a banner on LinkedIn, a uh, call with an SDR. Every touch point is a way to push your brand, right? Or at least like talk about what you stand for. And you need some consistency there. You need to have like a one story. Of course, visually as well, you want to kind of have that consistency. But at the same time, I think a brand is alive, right? It's not shouldn't be just stuck in one place. It's fine to evolve it. Uh, You just need to find what is this red thread? What are the things that will not change? Probably your company values. Like those doesn't matter if you bring new people in, that should kind of like stay the same, right? The thing you believe in from the start and why you're doing what you're doing. So I think those are important to keep. But then I think it's okay to also evolve your brand. Like the story can evolve and also visually it can evolve. I think that's, That's fine, as long as you try to find this consistency within the evolution, if that makes sense. (laughs)
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting that you touch on the visual side of things, because that was what I wanted to come to next, really. So this podcast series is all about creativity in in, in B2B tech marketing. And inevitably, when we start to talk about creativity, we think a little bit more about the visual side of things. How easy or difficult is it to bring to life the values and vision of a company like Cinch within the, the visual identity? But I'll add to that, how much fun is it? Because you're from an agency background, you were saying before about how kind of advertising was the backbone of your passion within creative services and marketing. So is it a fun process as well as challenging to get yeah. to that point where you feel like you've got a visual identity that really represents who you are and what you stand for?
1: It is a really fun process. I think it's like, and it's really interesting when when you move from agency to, to, to a company, how much involve you get and like it's it becomes more of your own right it's like it becomes your brand but like when you create a brand in an agency for someone else you care about how it looks right and then but you don't really get into it doesn't become yours right in in the same way and it also like interesting to me which what i discovered right it's like Because I I used to work for branding agency as well, right? You deliver like what you think is this perfect brand with this perfect brand guidelines that looks amazing, and then usually a couple of months later you cry because the the company have just like damaged it, right? (laughs) They've just like changed your beautiful guidelines that you've just crafted, (laughs) and you're like, why did they do that? And then when you're in house, you actually realize that. What you get are really the foundations, but when you start playing with it and you start implementing it, a lot of things just don't work. You can't just like apply it exactly the way it was because because it's not, it has to live with what, what exactly the deliverable will be, right? It can't just be like, mock-ups of what it, it would maybe be then you get into the reality of it and you have to evolve the brand and you have to like make it work for you and you also have sometimes realize that um, in the end when when you apply it on certain deliverables it, you don't get the right feeling um, that you got on mockups ups in, in those guidelines, right? So it's that process, I think, I, I never really realized before. And um, and yeah, so now I'm sure like some of the creative that, that initially crafted the Cinch brand would be like, what are they doing <laughs> with some <the> brand?
0: <laughs> it always seems to be the website. It always yeah. seems to be the website <laughs> for some reason. And I don't know why that is, but usually it is in those kind of digital digital platforms where you kind of, as an agency, you go, oh, yeah, I didn't think it I would know. Quite like that. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know for for, for better or for worse i mean if i'm brutally honest sometimes it's more for worse but again like you said you know because you've been on both sides of the fence you understand and i think agencies will probably do well to remember that to be honest (laughs) it it is
1: like a, a very interesting process because i didn't think that way as well and i think like i mean i work in an agency that did both the brand and the website i think that definitely helped because then you could like the vision you get as an agency for the brand, you can try to carry it through the website. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I think it's really hard. But, um, but also you have to understand that the company and the people in the company have to own this brand. And so they have to kind of continue crafting it and pushing it in a direction that they feel work for them. I think for, for us, for example, like the brand foundation and the brand guidance we got looked stunning and it was really good but we missed a bit of the fun and a bit of the warmth that exists in the company. And it's like, okay, we went too far in, in maybe crafting a very clean, minimalistic Scandinavian brand, where in reality, we are like a global company with people in India and Brazil, and like the US and Germany, and everybody kind of needs to feel that this brand took to them um, and there's cultural differences, right? Like, you don't get the same, especially visually, right? Not the same things work. And that's another really important point as well. It's like you might craft this beautiful brand and get, like, follow guidelines and make banners, right? We were talking about digital marketing. You make banners, none of them convert. They look stunning, but then they don't deliver. Nothing converts. Well, you have to just evolve things and then you know, try out what will work while still keeping in the brand, it also has to deliver. So I think that that's another part that sometimes is, is not truly understood by brand agencies.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, it's an interesting point. How do you do that, though? How do you bring those really disparate and, you know, from a geographical point of view and from a departmental point of view in, in a big organization? How do you bring enough of those people on that journey so that it's not just a case of, okay, we've evolved our brand, here's a set of brand guidelines, this is what you need to do now. They, they get so, shot in a drawer, they never get looked at really because people weren't on that journey in the first place. But you can't bring all 4,000 people with you every single step of the way as you... I'm not necessarily just talking about a full rebrand, but I'm talking about kind of an evolution. How do you make sure that enough of those people feel like they're stakeholders in the process for it to be able to, to be truly valued internally?
1: So we... Um... So I wasn't there at the beginning of like the the, the rebrand in a way or the brand refresh at Cinch, but we had what we call like a brand chapter. So it was like people from different part of the organization involved throughout the process. Being a Swedish company, um, everything is very collaborative. And it, in a way, it's a bit, I mean, for me, like being French, it's a bit counterintuitive. It's like, don't do design by committee, right? <laughs> That's kind of the worst. But then in the end, in the Swedish process, it also helped bring people along. So it's like involving people throughout. And I think that worked very well. And, and honestly, like everybody has been really happy about like the new brand. We uh, Maybe because I'm at the heart of it, I haven't heard the negative feedback, right? It, it's a possibility, <laughs> but I haven't. Um, and I think now that wasn't that in a way was like the easy part because then we control kind of the guidelines and the website now when it's becoming more difficult is because we have like a, a global organization with local teams with local marketers local designers um that have to kind of make the brand their own and stay aligned while exploring what will work in the market so we've also started to like um we have like weekly meetings with some of those marketing uh, designers across the world, so from yeah, India, Belgium, uh, Brazil, and uh, and we look at what got produced like in the past few, uh, the past week and how everybody is like applying the brand and playing with it, and we we also really like learn from each other and um, and get inspired by each other, which is really which is really fun, which is one of the great part of of being in such a global company right and it's understanding those those differences right it's like what will be produced in Germany is not going to be the same as what's going to be produced in India because of cultural differences and an emotional reaction that are are different right like they don't get attracted by the same thing depending on where you are so that's but it's uh, the trick is to try to still stay within the brand without being like a brand police it's like has to be more of a guardian and, and more of an inspiration and making sure that it, people feel they can belong to the brand and also play with it.
0: That's it. It's flexibility, isn't it? You know, And I think mm-hmm. the best brand guidelines have enough wiggle room and margin to to be playful and to experiment, but obviously without going completely... Uh, the other way and and taking it into places where it was never really intended to go, you know, with detrimental effects. I just wanted to come back to the point we we touched on agencies a little bit. We can't go through this podcast without mentioning your amazing podcast, the Tech Marketing Pod Chat. I listened to an episode uh, not too long ago with Luke Richardson, Cleo, Yep. who's actually just agreed to be a speaker on, on our upcoming event. So nice. you've indirectly hooked us up, so thank you very <laughs> much for that. That episode was all about in-house internal versus external agency versus internal creative teams, what the best balance is. What's your approach at Cinch? Do you try and keep as much of it in-house as possible in terms of brand design and development? Do you work with agencies?
1: So we work with a lot of agencies. I think like historically we didn't have a lot of designers in-house, and um, and I've relied on on a lot of external help, and I think it's interesting because, of course, I have my whole background in, in agencies, so I definitely see like the value of agencies. But I do believe a hybrid model is the way to go. I think like the larger you become, and and because of the necessity for tech companies to like use content and rely so much on content and produce a lot of content to use throughout like their journey right like it's i think for me content has a place everywhere in in the marketing journey or in the buying journey from like top of the funnel sort of leadership to like the bottom of the funnel type of content so there's content kind of everywhere and that need for content keep evolving and keep increasing and you need to scale it and I think in order to, to do that, you do need to have people in-house that truly understand what the company does. And I think wh- whatever you might say, like the, um, the external agency, they will never get to the same level of understanding because when you're in the company, you do it day in, day out. Right. So I think you get like an understanding that it's like uh, a different and for like some of the speed that we live in, right, with, with digital marketing, you need to deliver fast. But in order to scale and for some out-of-the-box creative projects, I think it's key to also seek creativity elsewhere because when you are working with a brand day in, day out and you're like so embedded into it, it's sometimes hard to kind of stick back and be very creative about it. So I think it's, it's that kind of like balance. As you pick the projects that will be better served by like an external agency, but have kind of an in-house team that can run and deliver on on a lot of needs um, constantly.
0: Yeah, it's a dream team, isn't it, really? and I think from an agency point of view, part of the early conversations we often have with tech companies is, look, we're, we're not here to take over. We're not here to put your creatives out of a job. You know, ultimately, it's about working together and using the core strengths of both sides of the coin to deliver on exactly what you need and, and have that flexibility, have that outside perspective, but also have those folks within the team, within your team, who, who really live and breathe the brand day in, day out and can, can add that kind of that passion and, and that understanding to the whole process. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And j- just on your podcast, Are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying being a podcast host? Have you got more in the pipeline?
1: Yeah, so that's an interesting question because um, a bit of the history, history, I guess, on the podcast. I started it when um, I was still on the agency side and uh, it was initially called the B2B Marketing FICA, FICA being like the afternoon tea uh, that you have in in Sweden (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how it it started and I started by interviewing like uh, CMOs at tech company right like my my ICP you would say now (laughs) that you're on the (laughs) in-house side and and I loved it it was really cool to kind of meet all those people and also kind of have this discussion in a not selling way right just having a chat and then um, so really enjoy it and then when I moved on the client side I was like I really like this podcast I should continue because I meet so many great people I it's a good way for me to kind of stay tuned to what's going on in the market and also ask my peers what they're doing and how they're doing it right learning from from them like I was like you talked about Luke I was definitely like super interested in like how he built an in-house uh team I was like how can I do that (laughs) so (laughs) tell me what, what have you done so um it's, but I would say now it's becoming a bit challenging. I think um, I have probably like a, uh, maybe one more episode coming, and, but I think I will probably pause for a little while, mostly for scheduling issues. I think it's like my job is very intense, and I realized that, okay, I'm not sure this is what I should prioritize right now. I work long hours so it's like should I do a podcast or should I be with my kids for like those kind of couple of extra hours mm-hmm. I have so I think that's um that it became a bit more of a challenge to be honest and I think somehow I think as we're going back to working hybrid and people especially Q4 is like a especially busy time of the year I think at least in in Sweden like, just, um, I had many people can cancel or reschedule a couple of times. like, I don't have time for this. I like, I enjoy the discussions, but the whole logistic <laughs> around it, I think it's like where I can't spend as much as, as I did. So I still love podcasts and we are like planning a podcast with Cinch. Um, not with me being the host though, but, uh, we will, we'll, I'll leave that to some of, um, are customer engagement experts, right? <laughs> so they can actually talk about what 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 we do more. But I love podcasts as, as a as a channel for sure, and I think it's very valuable. But I I think my personal podcast will probably take a little pause pretty soon. I that's what I'm guessing.
0: <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's the beauty of podcasts in a way. You know, you don't have a kind of contracted production schedule to stick to, or you know, you don't. It, it, it's you don't have a publishing deal where you're kind of, you know, you absolutely have to do these things. Some of my favorite podcasts just kind of just, just pause on a whim and then they come back and it's great. Here's an ep- a new episode. Brilliant. I'll listen to that. And then if another one crops up in a couple of weeks, great. If not, then I'll listen to something else. You know, that that's oh. the beauty of podcasts, really. You know, no, so that's true.
1: Like- I think, I think there is like a... A value in keeping the consistency right I really tried to do that at the beginning and have like an episode like uh, every other week was my initial ambition Then I had to kind of tone that down a bit but I think it's um, it is hard this kind of a lot um, it's it involves quite a lot right like um, for me the discussion part is so fun all the rest I'm like yeah, if I had someone else doing all the rest for me.
0: <laughs> well, I've, thankfully, I've got somebody else doing that for me. So yeah. uh, I just get to have okay. these lovely conversations, have yeah. a chat with you, and then, and then go off and do my own thing. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, a that's a very, event, very yeah. fortunate. Yeah. yeah,
1: no, I love the discussion, that's for sure. I think that's like the... Um, those conversation that's that's super valuable in it and it's fun meeting people everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to shout out my marketing director Alex for for uh, and Jazz actually our marketing executive for the, for their hard work in <laughs> making all this happen because without them it certainly wouldn't. So, big thanks to them. And a big thanks to you Gwen. This has been really really interesting chat. W- one last question from me which is something that we ask all of our guests on the change makers. Is there a project from your uh, career so far that you're more proud of than anything else? And it doesn't have to be From Cinch kind of client side, it can be an agency project, it can be your art gallery, it can be absolutely anything. Is there one thing in particular that you would pick out that stood out (laughs) uh, above everything else?
1: Well, I think on a personal level, I think, yeah, definitely the art gallery was like a a, a fantastic project. But I think to maybe make it a bit more relevant uh, here... (laughs) I will pick the work I did when I worked at in the agency. So the latest agency that I worked with was called SCONA, and they're a B2B tech agency based in San Francisco and Stockholm. And one of our clients is, or I mean was, is still their client, I think a, comp- a tech company called Snowflake. And it's not one project. It's like years of projects together with Snowflake that I think was one of the best kind of, project or client that i worked for over the years especially because we got that opportunity as an agency to get very close to them and to become kind of like their external in-house type of agency and be almost in-house I think and see them grow the ways they did and go through like um, a couple of brand refresh three or four iteration of their websites um, amazing campaigns from like uh videos to billboards. So I think that was one of the cool things we did at Snowflake and I think they still do it. that being based in San Francisco. Um if you want to be like considered as one of the one of the cool tech companies you have to have your billboards um along the one on one and in in, in, <laughs> in Silicon Valley. And so there's a oh, yeah. series series of, of billboard that we did with Snowflake. Um cool word, like cool kind of creative around it, mostly focused on on type and on, on the wording, um, which was really, really fun to work on. And like every six weeks, we'll have to come up with like a, a new headline for that little, well, little, that big billboard. And um, and that really helped in, in building their <laughs> tone of voice and and what they believe in and who they are as, as a company today. And I think all that work with with Snowflake has been um, a pretty great project for for me and for my career, um, it was one of the reasons I, I think, managed to make the switch.
0: That's really interesting. I'm a massive admirer of Snowflake. I mean, their IPO, uh, was it last year? was was absolutely yep. huge. Yes. And, and they've gone from strength to strength since. But what is it about, what was it about them as a client? Were they just lovely people and really creatively brave? Or was it, was it you guys at Scona were just the perfect match for them? What was it about that it made, made it so cool?
1: We were the perfect match, I think, and... Um, And we had a really strong relationship with them. I think that matters a lot, right, in the way the company treat this agency, or it it was more than just, like, a a service provider relationship, right? It was really a partnership. And the agency was involved in so many different projects and so many different aspects of the brands. And yes, like, really great people to work with. I think, like, I mean, I, uh, what I, and I try to be that client, right? Now that I moved on the other side, I think, like, we, we all know, right? We have, like, really cool clients and some that are not as lovely. And I think well, one of the thing I think, that makes the difference is is how, as a company, you recognize the work done and and how grateful you are, right? Just like saying thank you for the work done. I think it's, like, it goes a long way. And, mm. and I think they were that type of client. They were always very, like... Grateful and have this this understanding that that what we did for them was was also difficult, right? It's not like please just put this together. Well, you know how it is, right? Like, mm. It's like oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, why did this take ten hours, right? Like, mm. We just like yeah. So I think they were this kind of understanding client of understanding creativity, and yes, they had also a CMO that had this um, desire to build a strong brand crafted a great like story and built a category so you were like at the forefront of that like building the category becoming kind of the category leader adding kind of brand on on top of it and building that strong brand um so i think they had it all so which was really fun to to work with
0: it's amazing isn't it when you get a client who you really really get that Super strong sense that they don't see brand and creativity as a cost. You know, they see it as an investment that will return the more they put into it and the more their agency puts into it. And, and yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're really fortunate to have a couple of clients like that uh, that we love working with here and, and for those exact reasons. Um, so, yeah, absolutely yeah. perfect. Listen, Gwen, I really, really enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you so much for taking time on your day off, I might add. Um, I really do appreciate <laughs> that. So thank you so much for being on the Changemakers Makers. Um, and have a great rest of your day. Enjoy your day off.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure to talk to you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Gwen. Bye-bye.